Father, we worship you, we praise you, we declare again that you are hallowed and that there is no one and nothing that compares to you. Father, we long to see you high and lifted up in our lives and in this place. Lord, we pray and ask that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we focus our attention now to your word, we ask that you would come and reveal to us what it is that you are wanting to communicate to us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that you are all well during this very trying and difficult time. I pray that when you call out to the Lord that he meets you um, and that you are, a that you are able to, to grow during this difficult time, that it would not just be a time of challenge, but that would be a time where you can experience growth. This evening we're going to be starting a new series, a series on worship that's going to take us for the next few weeks. And I pray that it would be a time of refreshment, a time of growth as we enter into this new season. Do you know, one of the things that I have noticed over the past few months is how followers of Jesus have responded to the change in platforms of how we worship. You know, we have been forced to do things differently, and so we've moved our gatherings online. And this has affected the way in which we engage in certain aspects of worship. And so when we have online service, like right now, we find ourselves actually consciously having to work at being present, at being engaged, and at being focused. So when Andrea is leading us in song, we actually have to remind ourselves that we are not watching a performance or a concert, but that whoever is singing or, or playing an instrument is leading us in song. And so there is a greater responsibility on us to engage in that time. Perhaps the reason that we struggle to focus right now may have something to do with the fact that we are now being forced to do most things online. And, and so that revolves around us constantly having to be focused on a screen. And so we do our studies online on a laptop. Um, if we are fortunate enough to be able to work from home, that involves having to look at a screen. There are meetings that we need to do, and that happens also when we are online. And so even our entertainment happens, and, we need to f and then we find ourselves having to look at a screen. And now even as we are gathering for church service, this is also taking place on the same platform. And so there is this fatigue that I think has gradually set in that is challenging our worship. It seems as though we are in a season where more is required of us in terms of discipline, you know, when, even when we worship. And Josh actually spoke about some of those aspects last week. And I want to agree with you when you say that it requires more of you. There's more work to do. It's harder right now to worship now than it has been in the past. And I know that it's hard, but I, I hope that 
over the next while as we look at worship, that we will find ourselves feeling encouraged, strengthened, perhaps convicted and challenged, but refreshed as we enter into this new season, into this new year, that will bring with it um, more challenges, but also more opportunities to worship. Now, as we start to focus and direct our attention on worship, I want to start out by asking a question. And the question may seem strange, <laughs> but what is it about celebrities that so obsesses us? I found some interesting pics online. Here's one of um, a Philippine man who, over 16 years of plastic surgery, worked at transforming his image into the, into the likeness of Superman because he's so obsessed with Superman. There's this guy who was so obsessed with Justin Bieber that he spent thousands on surgery so that he could look like him. I think he could have spent his money with her in another way. There's this girl who is so obsessed with the rap artist Drake that she tattooed his name on her forehead. And then there's this guy who spent something like $160,000 on plastic surgery so that he look, could look like the, the, the K-pop star Jimin. And then he married a cardboard cutout of Jimmy. Weird. Now, this is so strange, um, it actually boggles the mind. You know, we actually even call these people idols. And it's not just that we enjoy their work or their performance, whether it be singing or acting or sport. But we actually want to know all the nitty-gritty details about their personal life. And the more personal <laughs> the information, the better. And there's actually a huge thriving industry with paparazzi and tabloids that sell us the dirt, <laughs> that sell us the Skinner stories about these celebrities. And so we find ourselves constantly being bombarded with info about people who we call idols. You know, in, in the upside-down world in which we live, it seems that the attention and the adoration, the adulation, goes to pop stars, to actors, to sports heroes. And now there's also this new category called influencers. That's quite interesting. I always wonder why that is. No psychologists actually have a clinical name for the obsession that emanates out of this apparent worship. And they call it Celebrity Worship Syndrome. Now, Celebrity Worship Syndrome is an obsessive addictive disorder in which a person becomes overly engaged with the details of a celebrity's personal life. Some scholars are also saying that our lack of desire to want to worship God is one of the reasons that this 
celebrity worship syndrome is such a problem. This, I think, stems from the belief that we all need someone or something outside of ourselves to focus on and to worship. I personally think that it has more to do with our fallen nature than anything else. You know, as fallen sinful creatures, our natural bent is to place value on those things which actually have little to no true value. And then what we do in turn is we devalue those things which are of real worth. And this started in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve valued the serpent's word above the word of God. And so since then, humanity has continued to value the wrong things. And I think that nowhere is this truer than in the realm of our worship. We actually see it throughout the Old Testament. We see how displeased God is with his people. And he constantly would, would have a struggle with them because they valued idols over him. Worship can be described as both an individual and as a corporate act. That is to say that worship is both something that we do when we gather together, and it's also something that we do as we go through the course of our lives. In the New Testament, worship speaks to how we act, our, our, our lives, how we live our lives in the presence of God. And in its most basic sense, I think that worship is the proper response of believers to God. So we can say then that true worship is an act of those who have come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at worship in a more in-depth way and we'll unpack more of these aspects, but this evening I want to look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, and we'll look at a few verses um, from there. But right now I want to start by reading from Revelation chapter 4, and I'll read from verses 4 to 11. And what is happening here is that John is prophetically describing a scene of worship in heaven. And this is, this is how he records it. He says, Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white, and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front and behind the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, 
and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Now I want us to notice three things about worship that we see in these few verses. And the first thing is this. Worship is fundamentally theological and experiential. Now what I mean by that is that those who know God best worship Him most. Now, it is impossible, I think, to truly worship God if you do not know Him. And since true worship is a response to knowing Him and experiencing Him, the more we know about God, the better we can worship or ascribe to Him the worship that He is due. The scene that is presented to us here in Revelation 4 and 5 is one where the elders and the angels know God far better than we do. And the depth of their worship is directly tied to their knowledge and their experience of God. Now I think what this says to you and me is that if we want to worship God better, we need to become preoccupied with knowing Him and desiring to see and experience Him. And how we do that is interesting. We can do that through the study of the Word of God and through the developing of our personal relationship with God, through prayer and through exercising our spiritual gifting. Far too many Christians see worship as a ritual or as something we do on Sundays with worship teams, with guitars and instruments and music, when in reality, worship is about knowing God and responding personally to that knowledge. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, coming back to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we find that not only do these creatures that John so vividly describes for us here, Worship God for who He is, but they also worship Him for what He has done. We find, if we look at chapter 5 and verse 9, listen here to what they say. They say, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, 
because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is worthy of our worship and praise, not just because he is God, and he is God, but because of what he has done. Because he shed his blood to pay the price for our sins, and thereby offers us eternal life. The celebrities that we mentioned earlier are idolized for what they have accomplished. Now, if we think about sports heroes, actors, and so on, but what Jesus has done makes him deserving of worship that far, far outweighs what any man or woman has done. True worship praises the nature and the work of God and brings us to a more vivid understanding of who it is that we are worshipping. The more you know him, the more you will be driven to worship him. And so those who know him best worship him most. The second thing to notice is this. Worship is also very practical. Now what that means is that it involves something that we do, something that we say, something that we give. It involves an action. It is something that we practice. Now it's unfortunate that much of modern day worship has become man-centered. And so there are there are some places of worship that design their worship services around what will attract most people or what will give people a good feeling or a good show. And so, <laughs> and so perhaps instead of opening in a word of prayer, the opening line is lights, camera, action. But worship is not about us feeling good. It is about us doing and saying and being what we should do, what we should say and what we should be. It involves specific and intentional action on our part that is directed toward God. Now I want to mention very quickly three things about the practicality of worship. And this is the first thing. True worship involves Purity. Now when we imagine the scene that John is describing here, we note that it is a scene which takes place in heaven where there is no sin. And the elders, as he describes them here, are robed in white, which speaks of their purity. Worship in heaven is perfect because of the absence of sin. And this, I believe, for us here now, highlights the importance of repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness and repentance are one of the most sensitive and thorny issues in human relationships. It is so hard for us to forgive and to repent, yet it is crucial in the Christian faith. And this is because Forgiveness and repentance 
is the flesh and bone of redemption. You know, salvation revolves around forgiveness and reconciliation. So when we come to worship God, we should examine ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit of God to examine our hearts to see if there is anything within us which would keep us from being able to worship. And we'll talk about this later on in the series. The second thing is this. True worship involves humility. In these verses we see that the elders fall down and worship. Now it shouldn't go without notice that these 24 elders are themselves seated on thrones around the throne of God. And among their human peers, these 24 elders are exalted to the point that they are given thrones around the very throne of God. And what's more is that they are given golden crowns. Crowns which signify reward for lives well lived. Reward for races well run. And yet, what is it that they do? They fall down and worship God. One of the two principal words in the Bible that translates to our English word worship literally means to lie prostrate before the Lord, to fall down before Him. Now not only does worship involve purity and humility, but worship also involves surrender. When we look at chapter 4 and verse 10, we see that they cast their crowns before the throne. Worship involves absolute surrender. And these crowns represent rewards. They were given these crowns based on their faithfulness. But notice, instead of holding on to their crowns and remaining on their thrones, they abandon their thrones and they cast their crowns before His throne. Everything they have, everything they possess, their position and their possessions they have laid at the feet of God. You see, we cannot come to worship God, I think, with a selfish or a stingy heart. You cannot truly worship God unless you are willing to surrender everything that you are and everything that you have to Him. And I think that one of the reasons so many people never experience authentic worship is because they insist on holding back, on keeping things from God which ultimately belong to Him. And this is not just material possessions. It means surrendering your agenda, surrendering your future, your hopes, and your reputation to Him. It means trusting Him with your everything. So worship involves surrender. So those are just three things to notice under the practicality of worship. And here's the last point. Worship is ultimately personal. 
Worship is not just something that we do, it is who we are and how we live. Worship involves our everyday, everyday lives. Worship, especially in the sense of personal discipleship, is something that each of us must do as individuals. This is what the, the angels say in Revelations 5 and verse 12. They say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now when you read that, a question that comes to mind is, why is he worthy to receive power? Does he not already possess all the power that he needs? I mean, after all, he is God, and he is omnipotent and all-powerful. So why would they ascribe power to God? I believe that it has to do with the power of their own life. They are saying that he is worthy of the entirety of the power of our lives. So when we ascribe power to him, we are saying that with all the power of our lives, with everything that we are, we are going to work to give him the honor and the glory and the blessing that he is due. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship involves the way we live our lives. It is who we are before God, both publicly and privately both internally, externally, both spiritually and physically. So as I close, here's another question. What does your worship look like today? Are you just going through the motions? Are you feeling that fatigue? Are you feeling tired? Or is there actually an authentic connection between you and God? as you come before his throne. Let me encourage you with the first six verses of Psalm 103. As I close, this is what David writes. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins and heals all my disease. He redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed.